Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, on the line now is Brian Curtis of The Ringer, uh, co-host of the Press Box podcast, covering all things uh, media, sports media, you name it, he does it. Brian, it's been a while. I think the last time you and I talked, we were dead in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic. So hopefully we have more like, <laughs> we were like, what is going to happen? What is what is going to happen with sports media? I think hopefully this is a little bit more of an optimistic uh, sort of conversation, if you will. Absolutely. If I remember correctly, it was when is Nebraska football going to start and is it going to start? Yeah. So we're in a better place. Now, yes, we do know. I in think. fact, hey, Brian, we don't know if they're going to be good. We don't know if they're going to win, go to a bowl game. But we do know, in fact, that there will be a season. So that's a that's a good starting place right there. Uh, how is life at the ringer right now? I mean, because I, I was thinking about this with you guys. Would you say is the foundation of the ringer the website and the writing or is it the podcast network? I think it's both. And for me specifically, it's really both, you know, it's a lot of podcasting, certainly. And as you know, doing podcasts and booking guests and stuff like that is not easy. Right. Uh, It's not the hardest job in the world by any stretch, but it's not easy. So I have to find time to write, but it's definitely both. And to me, a happy life is, is writing a piece, writing a column, writing a big feature, and then doing a couple of podcasts right you know it's funny because i heard you and you and bill simmons talked about this on your podcast kind of about podcasting versus columnists and writing and i guess how do you see those two worlds because i think one of the things that's interesting now and this sometimes it's hard because you don't want to paint it with a broad brush of you know almost all columnists also have a podcast because i don't know if that's necessarily true but it is interesting now how seemingly every notable national writer does have some kind of digital podcasting presence is that almost like non-negotiable you like you got to be in that world a little bit yeah it reminds me of the 90s when you saw the columnists of the newspapers get their sports radio show yeah right and it was like we're doing a layup line you know okay i got on from six to eight i'm on from three to five and everybody got a sports radio show all of a sudden it's interesting to me because i feel we've reached this point in history and i say this as a words person, a written words person, but there are moments after big games, after a huge trade, a big signing where I kind of want to hear the podcast as much or more as I want to read the written piece. Right. And you know, it's like, there's a, if there's a Nebraska game, if there's an NBA finals game, if Tom Brady signs a giant contract with Fox, sometimes I think it's better if you have two interesting people sit down and hash it out and try to figure out what they think in front of everybody, rather than have one person sit down and write a piece. And of course, sometimes people write a great piece and that goes completely out the window, but it's just an interesting time to see those two forms sort of coexist. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of podcasting, I think, and maybe I'm misremembering some of this, but this, I found Draymond Green's podcast, like I, this is kind of uncharted territory, and like this is a central player piece figure trying to win a title, and he is podcasting 
in between games. They get blown out in game one. He is uh, he is recording a podcast, like breaking down from his perspective what has happened. Like, I don't know. I I guess this is have you have. And it's kind of just people like, oh yeah, Draymond's got a podcast. I'm like, really think about this. This is like in the middle of a title run, and this guy is like, this guy's recording pods. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's his post game press conference. Yeah, but longer and more detailed, and a little more personal when he's talking about Gary Payton coming back in game two and hitting a big shot and all that stuff. If I had to compare it to anything, it would be those series of podcasts that Kevin Durant did with my boss a couple of years ago. Right which I found equally fascinating because they were in the middle of the season. And then the ones that Aaron Rodgers has done with Pat McAfee, which went all the way through the season in the playoffs. And it's almost like, oh, wow, here is somebody, as you say, that's right in the middle of it. And they're going to stop and talk in Draymond's case for 25, 30 minutes and just tell you what to think. I I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and I I think one of the things, because I've, uh, you know, one of the, the, the things that, happened initially with the NIL rule change in college athletics is a lot of the athletes were going to dabble into podcasting. And one of my thoughts initially was like, okay, that sounds nice in July, but when, you know, you're the starting quarterback (laughs) at Nebraska and you throw an interception that loses the game, do you really want to go record a podcast? You know, like, what is it going to look like in the bad times? And that's one thing I've respected about Draymond. Now, granted, they have won, and they are, like, I mean, it's 1-1 in the NBA Finals as we're recording this now, but his willingness, even when things have gone awry, like, that dude still grabs the mic, turns on the camera, records his podcast. And I can't decide which one I want to hear more. Right, right. Draymond pod after the Warriors win or the Warriors lost. Right. I know. It's it's (laughs) interesting. they're both really interesting. Uh, you know, game one where they have this huge comeback. You're like, okay, well, I definitely want to hear him after this. But then when they got smoked in game two, I was like, well, I don't want to hear that one too. Right, right. What, I text you about this. What do you think – Draymond's been on this this new media thing. He's like, this is the new media. I'm spearheading the new media. What exactly does he mean by that, do you think? I think it's part of a larger trend of players – trying to wrap their arms around the media, broadly speaking, you know, right. the, we used to be that we talked about them on the radio or on a podcast and we wrote about them and they didn't have a lot of agency in that transaction. And I think with somebody like Draymond, there's two things happening. One is he's saying, I want to have my thing. And naturally since podcasting is newer than those other things I just mentioned, I'm going to go there with it. So that's part one. And part two, I think, with Draymond is balancing the portrait of himself that goes into the world. I think it explicitly says this in his podcast description that he is a polarizing athlete. Right. Uh, you know, an athlete who people are watching on the court, watching him talk to the opposing coach, watching him talk to the opposing players and come away with this idea. And so with Draymond, well, if I give you 30 minutes after a game and you hear directly from me, maybe you have a different picture of me. Right. than you get through conventional media. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, because you certainly can't control what everyone thinks of you, but in the midst of that battle, you can at least say your piece. And maybe mm-hmm. that is – because sometimes – because I, I can get behind that, and this is coming from, like, you know, a, a former college basketball player. The one thing sometimes – sometimes Draymond dips his toe in this world where the new media sometimes, to me, almost sounds like former athletes being the only ones who are qualified to speak on a sport. And I think you got to be real careful when you start going down that path. I think that's certainly out there. 
And, you know, we've seen when, when we see when you hear the stuff about winning time, the HBO series yeah. from the former players, and I'll put aside the Jerry West stuff for a second. Yeah. There is a little hint of we are the ones that should have the right to tell these stories. You showrunner on HBO and you journalist, you don't have the right. This is not the real story. And of course, I disagree with that, too. Right. But I've never thought that they shouldn't also have their say in some way and to be ridiculous to think, well, I'm the only one. <laughs> who right. gets to talk about NBA players. No, of course they can talk about it too. But you're right. That that definitely does come through in some of these things. By the way, with Draymond, I mean, I think he's the guy that – and maybe he's, the, he's kind of the, the guy that everybody's kind of anticipating will, will slide into Barkley's spot. Is that kind of what the thought is? Sure, or, some, or somewhere on the TNT broadcast, absolutely. Because what do you think of that? Because I, I think Draymond, like the – Obviously, he's going to have a he's going to have an illustrious career. There's going to be a lot of winning there. Uh, his the the opinions are there. The conviction is there. But is the is the is the entertainment there? Like, is he? I don't know if I've ever Draymond's kind of funny, but I don't know if because like, I think at the central core of Barkley, he is he is entertaining, and there's a light. There's still a lighthearted funniness to him. That and I know you got to get careful with like, well, we got to find the next Barkley, and that's not you're not never going to find the next Barkley. But I'm just curious no. to see how you kind of you you compare those two guys. Well, I think the key to Barkley being such a dynamic character on television is the fact that there are other people there taking the piss out of him every night. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I think if he was just left to his own devices, just to go, I think it'd be entertaining but i also think it could get a little bit old right and a little bit old manny um and i think having ernie and shack and kenny there with him really balances him out so that's kind of the question i would would say about Draymond. what's he going to be like when he's in that environment right when shack can be like you're completely wrong or ernie johnson can make fun of him and they can throw <laughs> up the funny right. you know tweets that yeah. have been said about what he ever he said at halftime i mean to me that's that's part of the magic of that show, and that's part of the magic of Barkley too. Right, right. Um, you know, speaking of of players and then now former players in the in the media world, JJ Redick has certainly kind of had a meteoric kind of few months here, especially on the on first take. And <laughs> I think he's been good, and I think he's been really good for that show. But one of the things I'm already like, no, JJ, like I already sense this anger with him. Does it not seem like he's just pissed <laughs> off at every topic, at every co-host? He's just like he's just mad on the show, and you're like, no, JJ, stay lighthearted, stay fun. Yeah, is it like a smiling thing? You know, sometimes <laughs> I think when we don't see people on television smile, maybe that's it. We assume they're angry, and they're not actually angry. They're just not smiling. I Maybe. don't know, but it is, it's funny to watch somebody like him, and he's had a lot of reps on his, speaking of podcasts, on his own podcast, which started when he was still an NBA player. Right. But he's a guy who you can see really sort of figuring out television as he goes along, both as a game analyst and then on shows like that, and he's really, really good. He reminds me of, like, your very toolsy prospect, to use the yeah. cliche. Yep who is going to be really good at this and is figuring it out. And it's sort of fascinating to watch. This episode of the Nick Pop podcast is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. I received a great package from Omaha Steaks a few weeks back. Some bacon wrap fillets, burgers, jumbo franks, chicken, caramel apple tartlets, some pork chops, and oh man, have we been eating good. In fact, the last meal my family had before we went into the hospital, we we're going to be induced to have baby number three. We 
had the bacon wrap fillets, had the caramel apple tartlets, and oh my goodness, it was big time. And then the first family meal we had when we got the baby home with all five of us, oh, your boy hopped on the grill, grilled up those burgers, those jumbo franks, and oh my goodness, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, might have been the best hot dog I've ever had in my life. Trust me, this Omaha Steaks package is delicious. Here's a little gift giving wisdom from Omaha Steaks: Dads want steaks, and with Father's Day around the corner. There isn't a better gift than Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type Nick Baugh in the search bar right when you get to the website and order the Dad's One Steaks package. For just $99, this limited time package includes 16 mouth-watering entrees your dad's guaranteed to love. You got the bacon wrap fillets. You got the gourmet jumbo franks. You got the boneless chicken breasts. And, of course, you got the caramel apple tartlets. Oh, my God, I'm drooling just talking about it and thinking about it. And as a special gift for my listeners, when you type Nick Baugh, in the search bar, that's N-I-C-K-B-A-H-E in the search bar, and order the Dad's One Steaks package, you'll also get eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. My goodness, you need to make it happen. Go to omahasteaks.com, promo code NICKBAW, $99 Dad Want Steak package. You enter the promo code, you're also going to get eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. Go make it happen right now. OmahaSteaks.com, promo code NickBaw, N-I-C-K-B-A-H-E. You, you know, sticking with, with you know, JJ and then first take and kind of just that, uh, you know, the whole debate, sports debate show, when did, when did the shift kind of happen in your mind? Because I get, one of the things that's always stuck with me is now I get the shtick of it, but there was a commercial for Skip and Shannon show, and I'm sure you've seen it, where Skip is like it's like he's Rocky and Shannon is Ivan Drago. Like he's waking up, he's working out, he's staring at a picture of Shannon Sharp, and he cr- and he like crumples it up. Where it's like, <laughs> when did we get to where like talking about sports with someone was akin to fighting them? You know, like there's this weird, there's this weird kind of like cloud hanging over it, where it's like where in the morning you're going to recap a basketball game and it is going to be like oh let's here we go let's put let's t- let's let's go at it that's kind of a weird thing i agree and i think you know the stephen a one especially the ones he does with michael irvin during the nfl season really yeah. have the who is going to step into the ring with me today who's going to step into the arena and do battle and i think what these shows realized in the last 10 years is that sports debate is not what's getting people to turn on the television. It's more like the host getting his comeuppance or the host (laughs) being allowed to brag and smile like when Stephen A, when the Cowboys lose or the Knicks win, whatever it is. That's sort of what people want to see. And I think that has added to what you're talking about. Like I am coming in to battle on behalf of the New York Knicks. Right. <laughs> that's not that's not how these things started, I don't think. No. But I think what we what has happened is we now we identify these guys not just with argument but with specific teams. And that has made it so much more personal. It's also, by the way, taken a little bit of the edge off. It made it a little more comic, I think, right. at times. Right. A little more tongue in cheek, which makes this kind of easier to have fun with. But it's definitely an interesting development. It, no question. Because it's weird. I mean, like I remember watching, I mean, you guys had the sports reporters, you know, and I remember, I remember watching the sports reporters and I, and obviously PTI and its long run, there wasn't a feeling of, of a, an argument or a, a heated debate with those shows. So it's just, I guess no. it's just interesting how it's slowly gone this way. It's been a slow mm-hmm. morphing, if you will. 
I will say that if you had polled, I think, the two of us 10 years ago, we would have thought that all of sports television was going in this direction. Right. It's all going to be debate. It's all going to be Stephen A. clones and Skip clones and stuff like that. What's interesting is it's really just the morning. Yeah. You don't see a ton of that. I mean, you, we can argue, okay, Stephen A. is now on the NBA pregame show, so that has a little bit of that vibe to it. And I think that's fair. But really, it turned out to be a couple of people right. that do this for two different networks. And that's it. So it didn't really conquer sports TV, and I think that probably says something about people's appetite for it. True, that's a good. That's a that's a really good point. Um, as I this is fun here, Brian. I can just bounce bounce around different things here. Tom Brady to Fox was certainly <laughs> a what was a a big a big bombshell. Uh, the that happened, gosh, maybe a month or so ago. That he is gonna whenever he retires, he is going to be the lead <laughs> analyst for for Fox and in the, in the NFL. Uh, you kind of. He certainly checks all the boxes. He's arguably the GOAT. Uh, I mean, seven Super Bowl rings. He's a good-looking guy. He's well-spoken. You kind of never know until they get into the booth and do it. I think uh, one, Magic Johnson is the best example of this. In a lot of ways, Magic Johnson checks every imaginable box to be awesome as an analyst and on, on TV, and he's kind of he, – he, he kind of is awesome, but for the wrong reasons, if you will. Like he's not necessarily great at it. But I guess what say you? What if you had to project? Do you think Tom Brady will be good in the booth? What do you think? I think the biggest thing he has going for him, given the fact that I've never heard Tom Brady call a game and really talk much in an uncontrolled setting, is that he will work really hard at yes. it. Yes. You know, I mean, to me, that was always the thing with Peyton. Peyton's the same way, right? Funny in commercials really you know really fun to listen to him talk about football but you're just like if he ever wants to do this he's going to work really really hard at being the best at this or being one of the best at this and sure enough when the manning cast comes along it's like wow he knows what he's doing he's not just analyzing the game he's actually kind of doing play-by-play and setting up eli and his guests like there's some there's some high level media stuff happening here that's right. not just you know an ex jock talking about the sport he used to play and I kind of think Brady will be the same way. I think he'll just work so hard at it. You know, I don't, I can't predict whether he's going to be John Madden or Joe Montana, probably somewhere in between. But, but to me, that's what I would latch onto, and the fact that he will want to do well at this job, like he wants to do well at everything. Right. He's he's one of those guys like Peyton, like where they are just so obsessed. They never, they don't do anything, just fifty percent. Like they do things in a psycho hyper crazy way and mm-hmm. it's just interesting how like Brady's comes out in this like intense passion Peyton comes out in more of like a because he, he's just got a natural gift of of kind of keeping things light but you're right like the Manning cast was very interesting because it was a blend of there was humor there there was hard-hitting excellent analysis it was it was a very very interesting blend of what you want on TV from someone Absolutely. And those guys making fun of themselves. Yeah. Which I think is a big ingredient in this, right? Remember that first one where how big is Peyton's helmet <laughs> and the, the sweat stains on Peyton's shirt? Was it Peyton's or Eli? I'm getting them, I'm confused now. Right. But it was just like they came out and they're like, oh, wow, these guys are not just doing football, they're doing bits. Right. And they're doing bits that make fun of themselves. And we like that. You know, with the Manny cast, is it, I think it's all the, the, the lens at which you view it on the front end, because like, is the Manning cast built to exist as a, in addition to the main broadcast? Like, because 
for me, like when I watched the Manning cast, I enjoyed it because I don't really have an NFL team. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be one of those things if you cared about the game, I don't think you'd enjoy the Manning cast. Like, if I'm a Ravens fan, I don't necessarily want to listen to The Rock talk about God knows what (laughs) during a big third down, you know? And there was some of that. So was it, I mean, was the Manning cast kind of built to be like, hey, this is a, this is another option. And in addition to, and and not one of those things like this is going to replace the model of how broadcasting a game works. I think so. And I think it's a nice hedge if the game gets boring. Yep. And you're like, yeah, you know, do I really want to hear the announcers? Maybe I just want to hear, I kind of want to have the game on, but I don't need to be locked in in the same way. I will say that when I heard the Manning cast, it was the first time I've ever thought that something like that could replace the main broadcast in some way or another. Right. Now, this is before ESPN hired Joe and Troy for Megabucks. So mm-hmm. now it's clear they're going to you know, call Super Bowls for ESPN and do all the big games for ESPN. But I was watching that and I was like, you know, Peyton is so good at this and so good at kind of holding your hand and walking you through the game and doing those kind of play-by-play announcer parts that maybe in some, you know, for some games, this could just be the broadcast. I know TNT tried this with players only, and it was uh, not a success. Right. But I wondered about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if the NFL may be such a valuable property and have so many eyeballs that they'll just never do it because it's not worth it. But but I did have that thought when I saw it. Yeah. I I can't remember which game it was, but there was one two-minute drill late where Russell Wilson was on and it's Russell Wilson, Eli Manning and Peyton Manning yes discussing what they what's going on in a 2 minute drill what they're thinking what they like here and it, and you you got you're sitting there going whoa these are three super bowl winning quarterbacks in a very uh, like you're sitting on the couch with them and like that's I was like, wow, this see these are the moments where I'm like, this is something. When the game got good and it was like a big moment, and and the disappointment when Peyton would have in a poor quarterback decision in a big spot, or you know, what I mean? it was just it was those more, were the moments where like sorrow than anger. Yes, yes, yes. So it'll be inter- interesting to see how that morphs and develops. I think a lot of whether it's Peyton Manning or Charles Barkley, like we're talking about, the reality is it's hard to replicate because those guys are just such special talents. Uh, and have so much credibility that it's just it's hard to recreate a Manning cast with somebody else. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a tiny, tiny number of people yeah. that you'd want to watch week in and week out. No doubt. Uh, the you, this is a story that I've been tracking because I've of I, I call games for Fox Sports One college basketball games. I've dabbled obviously into into Big Ten games that because Fox is involved with the Big Ten and the media rights are up, and it sounds like that these new media rights for the Big Ten are going to go for somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars, and mm-hmm. Fox is going to have at least half of these rights. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where the other half ends up. From the outside looking in, Brian, as you've kind of stood and watched the Big Ten media rights slowly unfold, what stood out to you? What what has been interesting in watching this? Because this is this is a big domino to fall in the sports landscape here. It's a very big domino. And it's interesting because it's coming after a couple of other dominoes have fallen. First of most importantly, ESPN taking over the SEC rights essentially wrapping its arms around the biggest conference in America, the most popular conference in America, but also taking that away from CBS in a couple of years. 
So all of you are saying, well, wait, the CBS can have a big afternoon, Saturday afternoon college football game? Um, <laughs> you know, maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. So that created a whole, and then you have Texas and Oklahoma sometime between now and 2025 going to the SEC. So all of a sudden the Big 12 rights deal looks very different than it did a year and a half ago. Yes. So now no not just you don't just have the Big 10 which is a huge deal on its own given the population we're talking about, given Ohio State, Michigan, all the big games, you have something that just becomes to me almost existential for all these networks. What is Fox going to put on? you know, Saturdays, what is CBS going to put on Saturdays? And I, when I saw the list of all the networks and streamers, <laughs> yeah. they were interested. I'm like, can we get Quibi back online just a bit on the big 10? Right. No doubt. Everybody. Is that the only one that's not in on this baby? Right. I know. Um, but, but Fox is apparently, as you say, renewed its half. Yep. Which is big because to me, again, if you have the big 12 and it's not exactly the same as the big 12 was, a year and a half ago, okay, but we have the Big Ten. We're going to have Michigan-Ohio State every other year. Mm-hmm. We're going to have those big games. I will tell you this. I mean, to me, what was always so striking about the Big Ten package was every time I turned on my television at noon Eastern on Saturday, Michigan was playing somebody mm-hmm. I mean, on ESPN every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be like Michigan-Purdue, Michigan random out of conference game. And that was amazing real estate. And just, again, forget the primetime game, forget the conference championship game, those kind of things. Just those parts of it have become such a big part of Saturdays and watching football. And I say this is not a Michigan person at all. It's just always on. Um, and it'd be really interesting to see how that changes. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. The thing that's that's going to be interesting to see now is, okay, if Fox has half, where the other half, where does the other half of the Big Ten rights go? And will would the Big Ten ever truly get out of the ESPN business? Because there's been some talk of that that they'd maybe sell some sell some games to CBS and maybe some to a streaming service or CBS and NBC has talked about having maybe a Saturday doubleheader with Notre Dame and then some sort of Big Ten game and now all of a sudden that's a pretty good deal for NBC. You figured mm-hmm. you figured Brian CBS like you pointed out they don't have their two thirty. SEC game if they if they don't get something here what is CBS foot college football I mean you're not going to throw Rice and Louisiana Tech on you know like no. that's not going to move the needle service academies yeah, yeah. You, you can't do you're that not do it. and so I think it's it would be a pretty amazing move to if the Big Ten would truthfully get out of the ESPN world because for as much as people want to throw stones at ESPN they still are a behemoth on a variety of fronts. 
it's easy to talk like that, but when it comes right down to it, are you truly not going to be in bed with ESPN? That's something that's interesting to me. It's very hard to believe Yeah, that you would just completely uncheck that box. On the other hand, if ESPN is trying to accommodate a lot of SEC schedules and a lot of ACC schedules and all the other things they have to accommodate, what are those, what are your windows going to look like on ESPN? Mm-hmm. You know, how many times are you going to really wind up on Saturday nights and where are you going to be on Saturday afternoons? I don't know. And that's part of the calculation here, but I agree with you that, that, that feels like a huge step to take if they were to take it. You know, cause um, some, some, and I'm not sure they are, but we will see. Yeah. I, where, how, where do you stand on, you know, cause what, some of the bidders, you, you or you know, Amazon, Apple, or whatever, you hear about them potentially having meetings with the Big Ten. And certainly Amazon's in the NFL world. Apple has stepped into the Major League Baseball world. There's so, th- so there's been this forecast and, and, uh, and pre- predicting for years that, hey, when all of a sudden these, st- these big tech streaming companies want to get in the sports, look out. Is, is it... Do you view it as an inevitability that one of the major sports will be all streaming at some point, or is that are we are we still a long ways away from that? This round of deals feels to me like the last round for television. Okay, for or mostly television. You know, we've seen with the NFL, it's a hedge, right? It's going to be on NBC and also on Peacock. Okay, but it's going to be on the important part there for most people is on NBC. You know, you still have that foot in the television world. It's going to be on ESPN and ESPN Plus. So I, I think I would lean toward that we're still going to see, especially with something like the Big Ten, we're still, you're still going to want to have the television part of it. Now, is there a part where you could peel off a game or two like MLB has done and put that on a streaming service? Yeah, maybe, right? We've done that with lesser conference games for a long time in lots of conferences. But you know, I I still think this is the end. I think we're we're at the end of television. But we're not past the end of television at that <laughs> Right, right. I just you know you you brought up the, you know if I think what ten years ago we all predicted that all of sports media would be you know the debate shows and and to your point that hasn't necessarily happened. It has felt like for years and years and years we have kind of predicted like look out streaming's going to gobble up the NFL, Amazon's going to take over all the and we haven't quite seen that yet. But nevertheless, we have seen. There've been it's been slow, steady steps in that direction. I just wonder who was it? I think it was a, I think it was might have been Dan, it might have been Dan Wetzel that was talking about how that the thing that that a lot of people don't understand is these streaming services they don't necessarily want Iowa Purdue, they want Ted Lasso, that you know mm-hmm. they, they they want Stranger Things, they you know they want something that is that is much bigger than just that. So I, I, I don't know. I just may in some ways may as weird as it sounds, anything that isn't the NFL maybe isn't big enough for a Netflix or something like that. I don't know. No. And, and again, it's also just how much, you know, what are you willing to sell them? Right. The NFL was willing to sell Amazon Thursday night football because the networks didn't want Thursday night football. (laughs) They couldn't find a bidder. So it became the perfect thing to say, hey, in the cyberspace, into the streaming world, you go. Because it's a nice package. You know, Amazon wants into this thing, but, eh, you know, it's it's our fifth 
you know, best package. So, right. yeah, I think that's kind of where we are right now. A couple more things, Brian, we'll get you out of here as we're revisiting predictions from 10 years ago right now. Uh-oh. One of the predictions has been the death of newspapers. Where are uh-huh. we at in the in the death of newspapers? Um, we're at a really interesting point, I think. If I just look and if I'm honest about my own news consumption, I get the New York Times here at the house on mm-hmm. paper still. Uh, I get the L.A. Times here at the house on paper, subscribe to The Wall Street Journal and The Washington Post online. Um, but, you know, in terms of sports, I'm probably I'd say this. This is the smallest percentage of my sports news consumption that has ever come from a newspaper. Right. And it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm a guy who has like, I have my rival site to read about the University of Texas. <laughs> right. I have, you know, all I'm obviously reading The Ringer, listening to podcasts, all that stuff. But. You know, they're still there. They're still important. But I found, you know, and of course, some of them now have, understandably so, gone behind a paywall. Yep. And I think it's really funny because I look at my uncles. One of my uncles is a Dallas Cowboys season ticket holder. The other is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And when they send me articles, they're almost always from aggregators. Uh, sites that just aggregate yeah. Cowboys news. And it breaks my heart because I'm like, these are the guys that want the Cowboy news. But they look at the decision. They say, okay, I can pay X dollars a month for the Dallas Morning News and get really, really good coverage. Or I can wait 20 minutes and find it on this aggregation site. And this, by the way, this aggregation site will just be pumping out Cowboys articles all day, right. you know, uh, rumors, whatever it is, and, and probably in a different way than the newspaper will. And it's a tough choice for them. Right. And on the one hand, I want to say, damn it. Subscribe to the newspaper. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Don't put me out of business and all my other sports writer friends out of business. But at the same time, I'm like, I understand, you know, you're looking at these two products and you don't see the difference or you don't see a difference that would make you pay something. It's tough. Yeah. Where, within, within all of that, where does the athletic fit into that world? Because even for someone, you know, being here in Nebraska and Nebraska football being the biggest thing, there, there is basically a dedicated writer on the athletic that just covers Nebraska. So in some mm-hmm. ways, it's like that is the sports section for <laughs> whatever paper used to, ex- you know, whatever paper he actually, this guy used to work for the Omaha World Herald, but now yeah. he works for the athletic and it's like he's doing a lot of the same things he did at the World Herald. It's just not at a paper. You, so we're seeing a little bit more rather than like I cover college football for the athletic. We see more. There are people like that, but you see some more specific program based athletic writers. Yeah. And I think it's been interesting because in a lot of cases, they've been taken away from newspaper jobs that were not very good jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. They we're making them blog 27 times a day. Instead of sitting down and really writing a thoughtful article, you've seen a lot of guys go and gals go from, I wrote a bazillion blog items each day to, I wrote three big, rich, interesting articles a week for the athletic. And so they were just allowed to write something else. I also think as long as you have the newspapers there, the athletic has been a really interesting alternative in a lot of cities. Like this person covers the team in a different way than that person. Yeah. And that's something you and I are old enough to remember. We haven't had in a really long time since the days of two newspapers in a particular city. Right. So that's been interesting to me. You know, when you have real credentialed beat writers who are on the road, certainly during college football season or in all the games, to have that competition. What I would be interested in the athletic is how long is that going to be the case? You know, we really don't know the New York Times' vision. They just bought the athletic yep. a couple of months ago. 
And are they going to still be into that kind of beat writing? Times doesn't have beat writing in the regular paper. Right. They don't have somebody on the road with the Yankees all the time. So are they going to want to invest at that level? Are they going to keep it? Are they going to say, okay, the college football writers can still go to the games because there's only a couple, but the baseball writers, we want them to go to fewer games. Right. I don't know the answer to that. Right. Yeah, I know. It'll be I, – I just have found – it's interesting to watch it kind of unfold in, in front of us. By the way, you mentioned bring, going to games or not. Where are we at with that? I mean, I think the the at least the the, the kind of – line in in the world I am am in with what I do with Fox and and even BTN calling games is that you know that like Fox this year Brian they did install a home studio in my basement so I called Mm -hmm. a handful of games from my basement I'd call Xavier and Butler in my basement you know (laughs) um and I think the the line for a lot of people is you know the the pandemic just pushed everything into the future faster like, do we think our remote broadcasts, because there is some, you, you can see some pushback on it from certain people at times, but the question is, is there enough pushback that it's going to actually impact somebody's ability to want to watch a game? Where are you at with remote broadcasts moving forward now that we're, I guess, somewhat out of this pandemic and things are returning back to normal? I'll give you the only good prediction I've ever made, speaking of 10-year predictions. Okay. At the beginning of the pandemic, I said, here's what's going to happen. All these talented announcers are going to call these games remotely. They're going to do a really good job because nobody wants to suck. (laughs) Nobody's going to say, you know what? I'm going to suck for the next two years. And then we get back on the road. I'm going to be great. Right. They're going to do a great job. They're going to deliver a product because they're so good at what they do. That is 85%, 90% as good as they would as if they were sitting there at courtside or sitting there at a football game. And their bosses are going to look at that and go, Ooh, 85% 85% for much cheaper, I'll take it. Yep. I mean, that's what it is in a way where the, and by the way, the writers are the same thing. Right. I think it's a, people become victims of their own talent. And that's, you know, if, if people, if network executives are watching these games and being like, this is atrocious, this is 50% of what it was when you were at the stadium, they put everybody back on the road right away. Right. That's interesting. But it's not. Right. And, and, you know, and then you have, small lower wattage games where they're like well what if we just did this wrongly i mean i'd much rather everybody be back and i'd rather every print reporter who needs to be at a stadium be at a stadium so don't don't take that the wrong way i know what you're saying yes at the same time i'm like we showed them because we didn't have another choice we didn't want to get fired we showed them the cheaper way to do this during the pandemic we gave them a look out of necessity at what this would look like and here we are well and the I think the other part of that conversation is is okay if you eliminate the traveling aspect of it you couldn't use Bill Raftery out of his house instead of getting raft twice a week calling a game you get raft four times a week calling a game so you literally get so you're getting your A talent twice as much and as you're saying, you're saving some money by not having to send a whole crew out there. Again, this is, I mean, trust me, I'm living it. And it's a, it's a weird world where you're hoping you're somehow, when, when the pie gets cut, you're involved. But I think that's another part of it is like you're also, I think it allows you to use some of your top talent guys. And I'm talking about the big inventory sports where you're basketball, bunch of games in a week, even sure. football to a certain extent. Like, I, I think that's another part of it. 
if it's Raft, can we get him from PJ Clark's in Midtown Manhattan instead of your home? I think you'd be much better there. Well, hey, I think we figured out you you can have your Manning cast. I want the Raft cast. That that's what, <laughs> that would be great. That would be way. amazing. Brian Curtis. <laughs> Boy, 36 minutes of just good stuff, man. This was awesome. I always uh, I always appreciate you getting back to me. When I launched my podcast a couple of years ago, I took a shot in the dark and I, I texted you and wanted to pick your brain, and you you immediately called me. That stuff means a lot, man, so I appreciate you, Brian. Dude, Nick, it means a ton for you to have me on. I was so much fun. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, Brian. A Huda Media Production.